Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, October 27th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. It's been a while since we had a week where we were both out, and we had, we had a placeholder. We were in California doing work things. We're back. It was 82 degrees when I left Portland and 42 <laughs> when I came back. Uh, it was about like that in Richmond. It was, I think, upper 70s when I left, and then I came home to highs in the low 60s, lows in the upper 40s. It's mm. fully fall. Everything is like all the leaves have turned. I right. feel like I'm just living my best you know, fall life. Everything is pumpkin scented. It's great. <laughs> I, uh, and, and we're in the fall book season. It's I'm going to talk about frontless for you. Yesterday was a high holy day for me when it comes to books <laughs> and reading the double M's and M&M McCarthy and Mukherjee situation. Unfortunately for me, McCarthy has, it's got to get behind a couple of things, but mm-hmm. um, I, I tried calling you a few minutes earlier than our recording because I don't know what's happening. And I had eight extra minutes. So I took, put on Mukherjee for eight minutes. That's where I am. With, mm. You know, like that, that, that's an audiobook experience. Like any little minute you have, yeah, you'll turn you'll it take on. It. And that's, that's where a, I am. It's a really good sign. I haven't started the Mukherjee yet. I also had a high holy day yesterday because it was, for me, it was Mukherjee and Ross Gay. Um, mm. So we are celebrating that in the Shinsky household. I also, I think we're on maybe the longest synchronized reading streak mm-hmm. that we've ever been on <laughs> together um, with a book that we're reading together for next week's Patreon episode. And then it just happens to line up that there's the Mukherjee and Roske and a few other things that, that we were both planning to read. But I'm, I cannot wait. I'm going to read the Mukherjee in print. I just like to hold. I remember the, holding the giant copy of The Emperor of All Maladies and I'm looking forward to like sitting down. This is one giant hardcover I'm looking forward to sitting down yep. with. So. Uh, 16 hour. Well, we're going to get it. That's my only point. I want to talk <laughs> about one. even my first 45 minutes and the, okay. the genius of the book and everything else. So we'll hold that for a second. Speaking of coming attractions, uh, a, a few Patreon talks. Um, one thing is we have a first time around the sun uh, situation with making the selected Patreon episodes available to the public. We've turned that on. We said they should be available. They were still private. Our mistake, our apologies, but they are available now. So you can go check those out if you're so inclined um, and consider become a Patreon. Thank you so much to our continued supporters. Uh, coming up next today, we're rec- how much? I can't remember. What, what do people like to know what's coming? We're recording. Well, you know what? Let's save the one that's coming up next to be a surprise, but the one people may need some more lead time if they want to join us is we are going to be reading George Saunders's Liberation Day. That's one of the mm-hmm. things on our shared um, reading schedule. And then our content for that will be, it's a book of short stories, and we're going to rank them by how George Saunders they are, going from the <laughs> least George Saunders story in Liberation Day to the most George Saunders um, 
which is itself a bit of a George Saunders-like uh, enterprise, <laughs> it I should is. say. It is. I'm looking forward to discovering like how many different Post-it notes are going to get involved while I'm keeping yeah. track of what I think the different features of George Saunders are as this book gets into itself. Um, that should be a really good time. We had, um, I guess, speaking of short stories and their relative prominence or lack thereof, in talking about the... I guess especially my National Book Award existential crisis, a lot of people say, <laughs> you know, I said, you know, short stories don't typically have the juice, that's not mainstream, and then a lot of counterexamples that people are giving, like, what about this collection, what about this collection? And here's the thing, y'all were mentioning, like, the same three collection of short stories, which proves my point, that it is vanishingly rare that a collection of short stories breaks through into anything like a a mainstream consciousness in, in the book world alone, forget about the wider book world. Mm-hmm. So... That's just a situation, and it reminded me that when we, you know, you and I will toss off, you know, has anyone taken the belt from Colson about yeah. greatest American novelist? And we have some other contenders in there. The name George Saunders doesn't come up, and it's not because it's not, I don't think he, I think he is a contender, maybe, but a novelist is a problem with Saunders mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what he, 10th of December is... 10th of December and Lincoln and the Bardo are probably his two signal works. This is short stories. His other collection of short stories doesn't have the capital N novelist. And if you, if we expand it, expand it to fiction writer, maybe we're in an interesting point of view and maybe we'll extend that conversation mm. a little bit in liberation day. But I read whatever Saunders coming out with yes. great interest. He's the kind of person that Colson Whitehead reads and goes like, I can't believe this guy's doing this next. Cause you don't know. The only <laughs> you thing really you expect don't. is the unexpected. You really don't know. And it's sort of part and parcel, but I'm, it's it's also that did that come out that came out last week I'm not sure of my release date Liberation things, Day a part I think of our, it, yeah. yes last week yeah so there was enough yeah. breathing room for it before the episode yes but I look forward to doing that as we continue ex- to experiment with content forms that some of them will stay in Patreon and then some we may bleed over to, to play with on yeah. the main show but um, I appreciate you Rebecca playing this relatively oh, strange a, game I mean this is a strange game I'm all the way in for so it's not a, <laughs> not a big ask uh, folks we'll have a link in the show notes directly to the Patreon post that contains those three yep. episodes you can listen to for free or of course you can check us out at patreon.com slash podcast. While we're on the Colson tip, did you see there's a cover for the second I saw Lib posted it. Um, yeah. It's the second book in the Harlem Shuffle duology, or I guess, what's the name of the character? Ray, what's his name? Oh, I character? can't remember his last name, but it, it was Ray yeah. something. It's called Cro- A Crook's Manifesto. Looks like it's right in that same kind of 70s vibe. I'm mm-hmm. excited. Ready for some Colson Whitehead in early 2023. Crook's Manifesto is a great title. It's a great Unsurprisingly, title. a wonderful title. Um, so we're, we're going to look, and that's in the spring, right? I believe so. I, I actually don't know if I've seen the publication date for it yet, but if they're putting out a cover now, yeah. I think we'll probably see it in the spring. Yeah. There is some, um, a construction work happening in the office here for anyone listening. If you hear a series of loud rattles and bangs, that is not me trying to open some piece of food or something, uh, impotently. That is just construction noise. Usually my mic will catch it, but it feels a little loud. So I apologize for that, but we're going to continue a pace through to into our first um, sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Okay. Uh, follow up Spotify. Um, <laughs> I do like to watch the naive entrance into the I want to sell books online space come in and be like, wait, Apple takes a cut. And what about me? And what about how I should be special and not be subject to everything else? And it turns out that Spotify is now getting the comeuppance, not comeuppance, but the real talk that it probably should have expected. Yeah, you know, notably, you ha- this is not Spotify's first run-in with the complexities of Apple and they, they the, that they take a cut of purchases. Like, if you want to make adjustments to your Spotify subscription, you have to do it on a web browser. You can't do it on your iPhone mm-hmm. for the same reasons. If you want to activate a subscription, same thing goes. And Spotify knew this, but I guess they, I don't know, thought, hoped, engaged in some magical thinking about how insistent Apple would be on doing this, taking their cut of purchases that are made. And so when they launched the audiobooks angle in Spotify, they had to do the thing that everybody has to do, where if you actually want to purchase the thing, you can't do it on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. It, um, and, well, that's the way that was their workaround. They don't want to give 30% to Apple. So they didn't build in functionality for purchasing on the iPhone. It's annoying. It's also Spotify is not the only place that you have to do this. It happens on a lot of products. And the well, Publishers Lunch had a really good time being like, I guess Spotify yes. thought they were special <laughs> this week. I guess they did some magical thinking These about like... Summer platform. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that Apple would just decide not to apply this to them. They seem a little too surprised by it. I'm, I don't know. I'm finding myself to be a little bit <laughs> incredulous about Spotify's... Uh, presentation of their outrage here like how dare they make us have a clunky user flow um and that's appeared in many places but including on spotify's own blog which they call the newsroom and we'll have a link to that in the show notes but you can read them saying like how far apple will go to disadvantage its competitors the the audiobooks purchase flow that apple's rules force us to provide customers is far too complicated and confusing Um, it's confusing because they change the rules arbitrarily making them impossible to interpret and you know on and on none of this is a a surprise to spotify none of it's a surprise to iphone users (laughs) we are familiar with having to do shenanigans to purchase things. And I think the real beef here is that Spotify filed a complaint um, with a European, uh, the European Commission more than four years ago against Apple over this, and they're still waiting on a decision. And so while they're waiting, they're like piling up the other reasons that people should be mad at Apple. And I guess it's still hoping for a decision that will be on their side. I mean, okay, it's tough. It's annoying. Such is the way of things, I guess. I, I had a, I have a hard time being like, I, I guess if you're Spotify, you got to take your moment to like try to put one more brick on the wall for why this is a problem and why Apple should no longer be allowed to have this policy. Mm-hmm. But it's this is the world we live in. It, you have to do the same thing for a whole bunch of other purchases yeah. for apps that have decided they don't want to give Spotify or that they don't want to give Apple their cut. Mostly I'm amused by how it's been rolling out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say in Spotify's defense is the wrong word. Um, I don't know. To attribute them something that is a feature, not a bug of their worldview is their whole business model was a little bit, we'll figure it out in terms of yeah, streaming music. Yeah. So there is a certain, that's true. Let's, let's ask forgiveness, not permission, 
which is sometimes a good way of breaking down barriers and dis, uh, disrupting. I, I'm not going to use that word because it makes everyone get all tingly, uh, both for good and for ill. But, but otherwise, you know, changing the status quo. And sometimes you win these cases and sometimes something works. Let's get out of the particular... I know you and I want to spend a lot of time parsing you EU regulatory filings. <laughs> That's really what we want to spend our time. It's fascinating. Let's play court of rightness for a mm. minute, right? So we have a case of, and we can use the Spotify audiobook one as an example, but when it comes to all digital goods, especially whether it's ebooks or songs or whatever else it is, how would we apportion or how would we make this fair? I guess because you know what, you know what at a trillion dollar company me needs is me defending them. <laughs> but from Apple's point of view, you can understand we built this phone. The reason Spotify has a business is because of the app store mm-hmm. and apps and the phones, right? They, they just do. And I think it's reasonable, um, and I guess if you don't like the idea that capitalism all has rules and there's anything, there's sort of play fair rules within capitalism, then this conversation is not you. But I'm going to assume for the minute there's a world in which we want to be reasonable to the parties involved about the value that they add and sort of where the value chain happens and that everyone should have some chance to, to, to make a buck and, and do a business. It makes sense to me that Apple gets a cut for the pla- basically a platform fee that Spotify has enjoyed of purchases that happen. Mm-hmm. You want to use you could use a web app if you want. You could do a web player, but you know you you know why you're not going to cuz web players suck. And the reason <laughs> they suck is manifold and intractable, and the reason that native apps are good is because the framework the Apple and then by extension Google and mm-hmm. Android give you to make your app very nice to play with. So I can play it through my speaker. So I can do all the nice things we like to do. You and I like Spotify very much. You do. do you like your phone more than Spotify is an interesting question. And where does the value come from and who is in the hierarchy of value chain? It makes sense. Apple says, we built this thing. You don't get just to have a business on it because, <laughs> right? We didn't, we didn't build this for you to disrupt the, the music industry. Right. We need a cut. Now, from Spotify's point of view, I don't really have a, we could just, we should just be able to do in-app purchase where you get nothing just because. I can't really defend that. So it really comes down to what's the cut. Rebecca, how, are you along the ride with me so yes, far? Where did I'm, I lose I'm you? On, do you think, I'm on this, this ride. No, I'm with you. You know, I love the court of rightness. Yeah. So is the 30% cut right? I don't have any idea. I think, is Apple interested in a higher volume of transactions happening through its app at a lower price? A lower cut? Maybe. Now, this is where it gets interesting and antitrusty is that, you know, who has a bookstore where they don't have to find a 30% fee to sell you an audiobook? Mm-hmm. It's called Apple Books, their own platform. And now that we get into some interesting, I think, antitrust or platform rules there. Now, what if Apple said, yeah, you can sell your ebooks or an audiobooks through your app, but we're going to take 10%. Right, we're going to take ten percent because the other thing that's happening is Spotify has somebody else to play for each fourteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety on audiobook. It's called the people who made the damn book in the form of the <laughs> publishers, right? And those publishers pay them more than thirty percent to mm-hmm. sell through Spotify. That Spotify sells them, so it's a little bit hypocritical for me to say Spotify to, for Spotify to say to Apple, your platform fee is too expensive when they're charging more of a platform fee to the person that made the book. So I, I'm not that that sympathetic there. In terms of a consumer experience, um, if I want to use Spotify as my platform, I cannot. So I don't. I'm not even really giving a pricing choice. Okay, maybe the audiobooks on Spotify are a little are a dollar more expensive than they would be through Apple Books because of the platform tax. 
I guess. Am I willing to pay that convenience? If I'm not and I buy it through Apple Books, Spotify, maybe your value add isn't that great when it comes to my audiobook purchases. Yeah. So I, I kind of don't care about anybody here. And I especially don't care about Spotify <laughs> saying we should get it for free. But I also think 30% is too much. Where we are between that, I don't, I don't, have, a, a, I don't have a perfect number. That's Yeah, why. I could see having some sort of differentiation for Apple on what cut they take depend because of these antitrusty sorts of things like yep. with books and audiobooks and music which I think are the, the primary like pieces of media that Apple sells itself and also there are many apps and platforms that exist through the portal that is Apple or that is iPhone that you could pay mm-hmm. for like Spotify but or YouTube music or you know I don't know title whatever else yeah i could see doing something like it's only a 10 percent cut if that platform like spotify is competing with apple music or is competing Mm. with audiobooks on apple or if you have um i I don't know the kobo app and you can't purchase through it on your phone because you apple wants you to buy ebooks directly through them something like that i could see a differentiation there I, i don't really think in general, thirty percent is too high or too low. It's the number, like it's the number Apple picked when they started. Yeah. I assume they had some reasons. Maybe the reason just was that sounds like a good, nice, fair number. <laughs> it's you, you know the the folks on the other end still get to keep more than two thirds. It's the vast majority. We're only taking a little bit. Um, but that's like that's the number where it is. There are a million ways that they could slice it and dice it differently. Yeah. I could get on board with supporting an argument for a lower cut when you are competing with something that Apple sells itself or is maybe trying to limit you so that they have a greater advantage. But the the rest of it, you know, especially the argument that Spotify is making is just, this is mean, basically, they shouldn't be allowed to do this to us because it's clunky. And it creates problems for us. And, you know, you could also decide not to put Spotify on Apple, you don't have to use yeah. that platform. Um, you have some choices there, too, if you're running a business like that. So I yeah, I don't know. The, mostly I feel like I don't want to waste my time in the court of rightness arbitrating yes. between Spotify and Apple. We got bigger fish to fry. Well, it reminds us of the conversation we had of both as fans of audiobooks and Spotify of being mm-hmm. like, yeah, not a big deal yeah. for us that audiobooks are available on Spotify. This if, if right. I can't buy and through my audiobooks, I'm not like, boy, oh no, where am I going to get my audiobooks from? Right. It, it makes me wonder, and I would assume Spotify has some market research on this. So I wonder what kind of feedback they're getting from yeah. users like is this the is the clunky purchase flow the core problem or is it an easy one to hang your hat on and kind of point fingers at when you're trying to explain why uptake of audiobooks in your platform is not as big as you expected or wanted it to be yeah. when this i believe is a part of it but just familiarity with the rest of that space would tell me you're competing with Audible, which is huge and has a lot of market mm. saturation, and Libro and Libby, which both have you know very good platforms as well that many people are plugged into. And so, like, how many people were actually looking for a new place to get audiobooks? And are right. Pr- there's not a compelling reason, as we talked about, to to switch from one of the other platforms to Spotify. They haven't done some kind of value add here. So if they're having struggles with their uptake, and it certainly sounds like they are. I believe this Apple thing and the clunky flow might be part of it. I'm really hesitant to believe it's the primary or the largest part of it. It does make me wonder, in the great year war of the 21st century between Spotify and, I guess, Audible, right? The audiobooks Mm -hmm. player, that Audible 
Rebecca, I'm going to turn into salt <laughs> if I say the thing I'm about to say. Here it comes. Oh, no. Oh, no. There is an advantage to their membership credit model here. <laughs> It pain, We're you, know, it, you know how much that pains day. me. I think my, my teeth are bleeding <laughs> well, as I, the yes. words escape. Because you can apply Be- a credit in their app. Yes. You, you get the, the subscription is basically to use the credit. And it didn't always work this way. I think Ad, Apple had a similar certain like side eye to, aren't you really just de facto purchasing? And either Audible swung enough of a club that they negotiate, right? Like these are all negotiable positions, right. I should say. And maybe this is what Spotify is doing is like, would you rather have this in public and go back to Europe where you generally lose? Apple generally loses in Europe. That's like true. We're all, we're all going to have USB-C on our iPhones because of Europe. Thank you, Germany. Actually, I, that's not a cynical thank you. I'm, I'm very glad to have this in the future. But maybe this is a negotiating position to get some kind of deal like Audible seems to have finally gotten of like lowering the price or making something else. But in this case, it's certainly easier to add podcasts to Audible for free because they ain't paid for mm-hmm. than it has audiobook purchases to Spotify. Um, so that's interesting too. Also, Spotify, my seventeen ninety nine or whatever I pay a month for my family premium, Apple ain't got none of that. And... Be happy. That's my. <laughs> else. Uh, there, there's a, there's a midwestern sort of be grateful part of me that I'm not sure is really useful here. But I'm like, you have a whole business because the phones are great and the operating system is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it does. There's a sort of like, don't be greedy. But then I'm saying, be greedy from Apple, which is a tri- like as the the aforementioned young upstart trillion dollar company um, that has plenty of money as yeah, well. I sure hope they make anyway. it. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, it's really um, interesting. I'm going to be thinking uh, so for a know. while I don't about have anything what do I, here. Yeah, what do I like more, my phone or Spotify? And it's a good question. It's a good, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, but anyway, but. Uh, let's move on. Uh, he, I, I mentioned the date, October 27th. Yes, you did. I'm I'm telling you something. It's, it's October 27th. And already, Rebecca, I've got best books of the year fatigue. Me it's, too. It's already here. Okay. I'm really not down with the like holiday creep situation of best books of the year lists. And I did see yesterday a creative workaround where the New Yorker did best books of 2022 mm-hmm. so far, which usually we get at like the halfway mark of the year. But I think they were probably like, damn it, everybody else is doing best books. It's not even November. Yeah. What can we do? And then we'll run the final ones at the end of the year. But yes, Publishers Weekly now has joined the what ranks of we've seen Amazon's best of the year so far. We've seen Barnes and Noble. I mean, who haven't we seen is a more interesting question at this point. Right. Book riots the will not come out Times, until mid-December. New York Times New York will come Times out in December. Times is late. They come out late. Yes. And so let's do a meta discussion then, or go ahead, finish your point. I would say, well, and that's the way that it should be. Like, I think mm. these lists are most useful to readers at the end of the year when the vast majority of the books you're going to talk about or even when all the books you're going to talk about are out. And that was the interesting thing about the Barnes & Noble list and the Amazon list is that they both featured some titles that weren't available yet. And notably, they weren't even highlighted in special pre-order this now ways. It was like you just kind of had to know that that book isn't out yet, but it's on this list. I'm a firm, we don't turn Christmas music on until Thanksgiving dinner is over person. And I just believe that best books of the year should not come out until December. <laughs> I've got a hot take for you. You are <laughs> incorrect. Right. This is the appropriate <laughs> time of year for the best books list to come out. And I'll tell you why. People buying books in the hall. We need, to, we need these lists for the book buying season. That's what these are for. They're for booksellers. They're for buyers. They're for people looking for gifts, especially by 
I guess, you know, actually, um, the Holiday Rec show is coming up in a month or mm-hmm. so. So we ourselves will be doing, participating in the same economy of gifting <laughs> that makes much of the book ecosystem go. <laughs> we need to have the list so we can buy the book. People are perusing this. Like Publishers Weekly, especially, that is a bookseller and Barnes and Noble, too. They got to get their displays, they got to get their ordering, they got to get their people in line. I think this actually makes sense. Now, from a court of truth, like what are the best books of the year? I don't know that it matters because all these publications have already read all these books. They're not waiting for the Song of the Cell to come out on October 25th to have read the book. From a historical point of view, I don't know that it matters. I I think instrumentally, these are book selling tools and you want them out at the highest book buying part of, ain't going to do nobody good January 6th or or December 4th willing to roll back my start time to like the week before Thanksgiving um, so that people have these in their hot little hands if they wish to go Black Friday shopping. But like you don't need in general in years where we don't have weird supply chain things, you don't need a ton of notice or time to purchase a book if you intended to give it to someone on a holiday at the end of December. And there are several of them that stack up right there. Four weeks is plenty to trot yourself down to your Barnes and Noble or your local indie or, you know, navigate yourself to Amazon or whatever you're going to do and get those. That's plenty time. Early October, like the Barnes and Noble and Amazon list early October is too early for me. October 25th, whatever. I don't like it, yeah, but I know I it's not going to change. Because I, I think a lot of these lists aren't for people just buying books. It's for the people that are going to sell the books or package them in some way. I think, frankly, there's other publications that use these lists to develop their own best books of the year list that come out in Probably. November. Probably. I mean, that's, anyway. I think well, to get specifics going here in a bit into the Publishers yeah. Weekly list, that's one of the interesting things about the PW list every year is that it tends to be pretty different from the stuff that it's not the usual suspects that appear on the Barnes and Noble and Amazon list. That's true of the list this year. And we'll get into the top 10 in a second, but like PW. Okay. Also, I mean, I'm sure independent booksellers use all these lists to like figure out what they're going to stock, but also they're paying attention to the things that sell in their store year round. They're paying attention to their staff recommendations. They're looking at historical sales numbers and all kinds of things. Like maybe I'm wrong. If you're an indie bookseller and you're listening to this, feel free to be a little birdie and let us know. But like, are you sitting around waiting for the publishers weekly top 10 so you can figure out what to sell to your like, you know, normie lay person? book Mm -hmm. buyer who doesn't know or care what Publishers Weekly is. I can get the Barnes & Noble and Amazon lists. I understand the utility to them in releasing those lists early because they get passed around the internet. It makes a good headline. Maybe they're just padding their holiday sales early from people who see that list when it comes out on October 1st Mm -hmm. and to start buying books right then. I I get why they're doing it. But like, does Publishers Weekly really need to put their list out this early in October? They're, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, I they think could probably that's the be one the I can most excuse. I would yeah. actually take theirs first. I want theirs <laughs> first out of the gate. Well, we're, we have all sorts of meta discussions. Well, here's the reason. One is I think, well, I'm going to circle back to this, but I think if I had to, if you could only get one best of books list a year for the rest of your life, what do you pick? I think I'm picking Publishers Weekly at this point. Tell me more about that. Well, I'm assuming I'm going to get book rights because that's our company. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that. Uh-huh. Well, it's the most in-depth, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it has the most unusual picks and a blend of stuff that I've read, which apparently is what I want. I want a little pat on the head and also a little <laughs> carrot, I guess, because I'm a little fancy boy reading books <laughs> on the internet. Um, 
way, that's gonna that's show title. Um, <laughs> I thought Sweet Summer Platform was gonna win, but I did too. But certainly is gonna win. <laughs> certainly gonna win. Totally the derailed. The mental image uh, of just giving you a carrot and patting you on the head at your yeah. six foot four stature is also great. <laughs> Mixing metaphors online since two thousand eight. The Jeff O'Neill story. I just find it the most. Here's the other thing, and this is gonna be a little untoward. Because I read Publishers Weekly, I know they've read all these books. Uh, oh, that's true. And they read widely. They they review all. That's true. I need someday. I'm going to sit down with whoever manages the reviews at Publishers Weekly and just but be like, uh, how, how do I, you? How, what is your spreadsheet? How does this happen? Yeah, I think I really like the New York Times list. The the top ten. It's the Oscars is, of books. I think that's my, is, that was going to be my point there too. The yeah. top ten that is always interesting, tough. but then they do yeah. the one hundred notables, and mm-hmm. I find a lot of value in that one hundred notables. I think that gives me the nice combination of carrots and head pats of like, here's a couple that you have read and that you've heard of. Here are some interesting things that you've never heard of before, and then a bunch of stuff in the middle. Maybe you saw this one, but you didn't read it. There, there's the extra nudge um, from that at the end of the year to pay attention to. But I am interested at a distance in the Publishers Weekly one every year, but less for having it inform my own reading. And I just think industry-wide, like in terms of the average reader who's not us or a person who listens to this show, the Publishers Weekly one is the least essential for like people looking for yeah. what to buy at Christmas. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm not saying if there should be one for everyone. I'm just saying for me, because the stuff that's going to make on the Amazon and Barnes & Noble list... I will read three out of 10 of those, kind of no matter what I do, apparently, mm-hmm. is what I've learned this year, especially. <laughs> um, but this one, I'm really, I am like, oh, yeah, I saw this book. Like, ain't no one else picking Activities of Daily Living by Lisa Chen, really. I mean, that's, this is a very Publishers mm-hmm. Weekly um, kind of pick uh, to put, put in here. So I wonder, how should we do this? Almost like we, we used to do polls on the site, but this is the kind of thing I'd like to know, like a poll where we just asked people to... I don't know, either rank or pick which of these end of year lists do you most look forward to? And, you know, you, you get the big hitters on there and who would win. Who do you think wins? Do you think the Times win? That would be my prior is that the Times people would look forward yeah. to the Times list the most. It has the most brand awareness. It's also also very beautifully formatted generally, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Publishers Weekly, um, <laughs> you know, very well written. And so I, and it has a it has the thing that the Oscars do for movies of sort of a historical record bit of it. Um, there's not as many books picked to win awards from the National Book Award, but like if you make a 50 notable books or notable best books of the year, New York Times, that sticker is going on your book and it's oh, going 100%. in the front matter of every sub, yep. every subsequent edition um, that we're looking at. I think if I got to pick three, I'm probably picking the Times. And Publishers Weekly, and God help me, Goodreads, just because I need to know what the people think. <laughs> yeah, Not I want to. I want to pay attention to the Goodreads yeah. one, but then we are both consistently frustrated with the regression to the mean there and the the outcome of the voting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but I I'm need to know the mean. That. I'd like to know <laughs> the mean at least. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How else are we supposed to feel fancy if we can't <laughs> figure out what the mean is <laughs> and, and move ourselves from there? So let's just run down. Anything? Top I 10. think maybe this will be our last running down of top tens. I, I don't know. Maybe when the book so. riot one comes out. The, I don't well, know the Goodreads list hasn't come out yet. 
Um, yeah, even that one will just do a notable thing because there's so many yeah, books. Yeah, it's going to... Give me highlights here. What, what, what struck you on this list? Of being well, Activities of Daily Living looks good to yeah. me. I'll just read all 10 titles. Um, all the Lovers in the Night by Miko Kawakami, translated by Sam Bett and David Boyd. The Bird Catcher by Gail Jones. Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton. The Furrows by Namwali Serpel. G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover and the Making of the American Century by Beverly Gage. The Grimkeys, The Legacy of Slavery in an American Family by Carrie Greenidge. An Immense World by our boy Ed Young. The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness by Megan O'Rourke. And The Rabbit Hutch by Tess Gunty. Uh, so Gunty, the rabbit man. hutch, the yeah, Gunty making the- a last. It is. It's coming on the back stretch at Churchill Downs and come on on a house of fire. Truly, it was on the Amazon list. It was on the Barnes and Noble list. It's in that National Book Awards uh, finalist that gave you an existential crisis. It's here on PW. Mm. I am halfway through it right now. <laughs> It's on my desk. Yeah, I've picked it up over the last week while we were traveling. It's like, fine, I will find out what the hype is about. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. I'm at the halfway mark. Not not sure why hype, but good. It's very good. Um, mm. So stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> and I, the... will ha- I will read four of these by the end of the year. I will read that one. I've read Immense World. Mm-hmm. I will read The Birdcatcher. And I'm going to listen to Ducks, Two Years on the Oil Sands. Um, okay. Or read that. Sorry, it's a, it's a graphic novel. Yeah, no, I've this. read... I the format threw me off. Yeah, I've read The Rabbit Hutch. I've read... Or I'm, you know, basically reading mm-hmm. The Rabbit Hutch. I've read An Immense World. Um, I'm going to read The Furrows by Namali Serpel. That was one that, like, almost made my draft list when we did the drafts for the season. And I was like, yeah. mm, I'm seeing a lot of coverage of it, but I don't know if it's going to break out. And I'm starting to see it sort of go, go over the hump. So I want to read it before there's too much more mm-hmm. hype around it. And... I think I'm going to read The Invisible Kingdom. I've been looking at it. I'm really interested in uh, what work is writing about, uh, but I don't know yeah. when I'm going to get to it. I don't know if I'll get there this year. Yeah, the the nonfiction Tough Hang Award is uh, <laughs> given out a lot for these because mm-hmm. the Grimkeys also looks really interesting. Legacy of Slavery in American Family, kind of a tough thing. Reimagining Chronic Illness, that's a, that's a tough thing. Very important topics. Yeah. Um, but giving down to liminal or marginal time at the end is going to be difficult. There's a lot to do. I think, you know, when we get to the book of the year conversation, and we either can do it on this in the regular feed or on the Patreon feed, I think we have an interesting conversation about a couple of books. And The Rabbit Hutch, it's, uh, it's, it's hat is in the ring at this mm-hmm. point. I it think is. it's there with... Babel and um, I'm glad my mom died and, and a couple of others, but it's not a it's not a huge circle this year, um, and I don't know how the rabbit rabbit hutch is sold though it may be less important, um, but that that's the one that uh, that jumped out to me is like that's another mention mm-hmm. uh, of the it's rabbit everywhere hutch. that rabbit hutch it's, is it everywhere. really is everywhere at this point, um, so there's that list there's another list I I think this is interesting and I don't want to go through it but we will put a link in the show notes. I don't remember if Barnes & Noble has done this before. Have they I done this I don't think before? I've seen this before, no. Maybe they've done it before. We haven't seen it. But book, Barnes & Noble booksellers chose their own Book of the Year finalists, which I think is a really fascinating idea mm-hmm. because, well, just because um, in itself. And this, I think, is right now my contender for the normie book person of the year list, which which is, I'd say, with great affection. I think this yeah, is a good yeah. list. I've read a lot of these books on there, and I will read even more. 
And it makes this this list makes total sense to me as what got picked up um, by the list. So you can check it out there. Provoke the question, me, for you. Mm. What other subset of the population would you like to see their book of the year finalists? Could you know it? Oh, subset of any population? Yes. It could be farm workers. You, know, <laughs> you, could, you could pick dentists. I think uh, maybe hosts of some of the big interview podcasts. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The Roxanne Gay, Dak Shepard, Ezra Klein, mm-hmm. Mark Marin. Yep, that's exactly kind of, my lineup. Uh, Terry Gross Alliance. Yeah. Sure. I would like that. I would love it if the folks who do some of the like non book pop culture shows I listen to would talk about their favorite books of the year. Like even yes. uh the guy who hosts sixty songs that explain the nineties, uh, Rob, Rob Harvell. Harvell. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. someone else. Um they he he frequently has on folks who have written a book related to whatever show or whatever um, artist or song they're talking mm-hmm. about that week. Like, so what are his favorite books of the year? How many of them are about music? Is that going to be interesting to me? I think those would be super interesting. Just other people who have to read a lot, either for their jobs, like you're interviewing folks on your show that's really big, or I don't know. Like Siddhartha Mukherjee's friends. What are what all are they reading? <laughs> Like, you he just was want on... to know how to get closer to Siddhartha Mukherjee. I see hundred percent. There's no yes. secret here. Uh, he was on Armchair Expert this week, and they were asking him, like, "Okay, so you go to Stanford, and then you go to Harvard, and you become this incredible oncologist, and also you become this incredible writer. Like, were you writing the whole time along the way? How did you develop the craft?" And I'm getting he... physically angry as you describe this, by the I way. Know. So keep going. Yeah, it's, it's a very tough <laughs> it is, listen. For it me. is unfair. <laughs> Um, But he's so great at so many things. Uh, And he's like, you have to be a a wide reader. And I wanted desperately for the follow-up question to be like, okay, well, let's just talk about books for a while. (laughs) What have you been reading? What were the things? That was not the follow-up question. It's called Song of the Cell, Rebecca. I can barely contain myself. (laughs) I know. I know. I mean, notably also, I guess right now this is just a pitch for everyone to go listen to that interview. But they start off with Dax being like, you know, you give me like not Jeff Goldblum vibes, but really cool scientist in Jurassic Park vibes. You're like a rock and roll punk rock scientist who wears like a leather jacket and has great hair and you write these incredible books. And I was like, this is kind of fanboying that I just want to yes. hear all the time at someone like Siddhartha Mukherjee. Yeah. Um, who else? Like Kim Scott, business people we like. What else does she read? Um mm would be interesting. Adam Grant already does this in his newsletter pretty regularly, recommends books and not just worky related things, but okay, subsets of the population. Yeah, I think I want podcast hosts and I would like musicians and maybe like film writers. Like give me interesting the favorite books of the year from the like last five Oscar winning best screenplay writers. Mm-hmm. What do they mean? Or um Yeah, that's a good one. Prestige TV folks like when yeah. Sterling Harjo's not writing Reservation Dogs, what is he reading? Right. I that, like that I one think, too. Yeah. What about you? Um, I have had more time to think about this <laughs> before asking you, which is my favorite position to put both you uh-huh. and me in, frankly. Welcome to I the Book this. Riot podcast. Yeah. Mine is I want the books that editors at publishing houses are pissed they didn't get <laughs> That's that a good came list. out this year. Mm hmm. 
you know, for whatever. Not, and I don't want it because they sold a bunch. Like, obviously, you, you wanted I'm Glad My Mom Died for sales. Sure. But because you wanted your name on that book for posterity, um, that's that's the list yes. I want. I, as that's you know, I only take compliments seriously if they've come under duress and by force <laughs> from someone else. So I, only, I will only believe um, praise if unwillingly and reticently given by people in the industry. That's the list I want. <laughs> Yeah, I think I might extend my Oscar winning screenplay writer thing to like, what are the most recent winners of the Pulitzer and National Book Awards for fiction? What did they read this yeah. year? Can I That's subscribe to Colson Whitehead's book review? Oh, if we're getting now we're just handpicking. <laughs> we're handpicking 20 people. And you're going to submit us a form Colson Whitehead and Siddhartha Mukherjee and Celeste Aang and Ezra Klein. Yes. And you're going to tell us the list. Yeah, this we'll is call the dream. that the. Um, what do we call that? We'll call it the the cognoscenti list uh, twenty twenty two. I, I remember that word. It. Haven't used it in a couple decades. <laughs> Gotta pull that out when it was ready to go. Let's do another sponsor. Um, let's do a couple of point people at things. We're we're going to do some frontless foyer. Uh, spoiler alert: It's going to be out song of the cell. But um, <laughs> there's an interesting report from Penn on race equity in book publishing. Take a look at that. Um, there's a lot to get into. That's even more detailed than we generally get into, it's but I thought super it was very detailed. fascinating to see. Um, in relevant news to our interests, a new series of Never Let Me Go uh, coming out on FX Hulu. Um, we're now to the part of the streaming wars. We have to have slashes in who's producing this thing because it's FX, but it's going to be on Hulu. Is FX even a station? Can I just dial up cable and put it on yes. FX anymore? Or FX is it only is like on a cable. sub-streaming yeah. brand? Okay. Yeah, it's still on uh, cable. I will find that interesting. Will I watch it? Probably not, to be honest with you. I think the book and the movie, I'm I'm good with Never Let and Me Go at this point. It's like person. an inspired buy. It's not an adaptation. Um, I don't need that. I definitely don't yeah, need that. That's where, that's where I got kind of, that's where I sort of fell off is, um, oh, now I can't find the paragraph that mentions it. Oh, yeah. So it's about Thora, a rebellious teenage clone who escapes from the boarding school where she and her fellow clones are kept hidden from society. As she starts living undercover in the outside world, she unwittingly sets in motion events that will spark a revolution and test the boundaries of what it oh means my to be God. human. <laughs> Didn't we say in the Patreon, or I think, I know I said, I'm not going to prevaricate here. I know I said in lesser hands, Mm -hmm. this story would be about Katniss Everdeen getting off the boarding school ranch and starting a revolution. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. So that's where they have gone. Also, the big reveal of the book that you don't get till halfway through is that they're clones. And it's just out here in the first press releases of a show that's not even in production yet. So... I'm probably out on this one, but I'm glad that Ishiguro is getting paid. <sighs> yeah. It never let me go sell my my um, extended television rights. Uh, maybe <laughs> Ishiguro is what we should think about. Do you think Ishiguro needs... I mean, no one needs the money. That uh, Let me put that question back in the can. I know the answer to all these questions. Yeah. If um, there are some good writers attached and good cast, but I yeah. just... Uh, that's one that I don't want to mess with. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, another thing to point at, um, this is a wild story about <laughs> a rogue Ingram employee hot-swapping pro-choice titles uh, when people are buying abortion or reproductive rights-related titles. Just go read it. There's nothing else to say. Mm-hmm. Um, probably should be fired if Ingram can figure out who put what boxes in what, but this is the kind of... Um, 
thing that's going on. More banning stories. The big one is this don't say gay bill. Um, that's a federal level. I think this is the biggest structural mm-hmm. piece we've seen come to play. I mean, I'm not sure what else to say, but, but please don't. This is very bad. I also like that it's got this dry sand effect of now people calling it the don't say gay bill, which means you're saying gay all the time. Gay, gay, <laughs> gay. It's great. Gay is fine. Let's do it. All yes. Everyone who wants to be gay, let's go for it. Um, have fun out there. Uh, be safe, be careful, and be yourself. Um, and then Celeste Ng, favorite of ours, named the first ABA Indie Bookstore Ambassador. Let me ask you this. Why? <laughs> Does this do anything? Uh, congratulations to everyone involved, I'm sure. It makes, but like, is there going to be one more person that buys a book in an independent bookstore? Because Celeste Ng, who we all this was, hear, My adore, question like. is like, ambassadors conduct diplomacy and who's yeah. on the other end? Indie bookstores are on one side. Who's on the other side is the question. Us, she gets, I guess. The skeptics, yeah. the haters. We're haters she gets now, to, Rebecca, She gets to do some cool things for Indie Bookstore Day, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, even if they were just looking for a, a cool thing to do for Celesting because they like her and it was like, what can we do? Let's create yeah. <laughs> bookstore ambassador. Um, and I don't know if this is the first... Oh, it is. She is the first indie bookstore ambassador. First, yeah. Fine. Uh, like, let's just, we'll see what she does. But I'm 100% in favor of everyone giving Celestine nice things because she's great. Yeah, I thought, I just thought that was, you're right. I hadn't thought <laughs> about why? The, the diplomatic <laughs> line. Like, what are her, does she get like diplomatic well, like, immunity? Well, like, you know, she can illegally park and stuff. To whom? <laughs> <sighs> the world, Rebecca. It's a big job. Okay. Huge. Well, big job. Um, Frontless Foyer I don't know what to say about Mukherjee at this point Uh, Song of Selves is exactly what I want Um, I guess let me let me spend my moment to talk about the narration and I was I didn't even look I I didn't this is the kind of book where I don't even care who the narrator is but Mm -hmm. I was visibly excited driving in my car to discover it's Dennis Busakaris who is my favorite nonfiction narrator and this suggests to me that everyone knows he's maybe the best, if not the best, nonfiction narrator. And maybe sometime we'll do like an audio clip. I don't know if you've heard books by him. He's he's remarkable enough to me that I recognize his voice and have looked at some of the other books that he's done. And it's a who's who of like hmm. the big nonfiction book. And he has this, I wish I could do impressions because I would love to do one right now. But he has this sort of like wary scholarly, conversational, but also practice tone. The only way I can describe it is, you know, um, uh, Lane Price from Mad Men, played by Jared Harris? He has an English accent, but, you know, I've joked that, like, Lane Price is who you get if you need someone to deliver uncomfortable news (laughs) warmly and succinctly and confidently. (laughs) That's who you get, Jared Harris. I'm the Lane Price of Book Riot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you kind of are. But even just sort of, like presentationally, it's like, you know, it's, it's Chernobyl. It's, you know, we've lost the uh-huh. lucky strike account. <laughs> right. uh, it's, he's really amazing at this. I, I, I've i thought about it a lot. And as I'm listening to it, like, what is it in the delivery? What is in the, mm. what is it in the, the presentation? But I could live in this book forever. I, I kind of wish it was the never ending story. And maybe that's what we're going to get in, in um, installments from Mukherjee. Um, but it makes a troika with, um, the Emperor of All Maladies, and then what was the what the, was gene. the one about DNA? They just called the gene. No wonder I can't mm-hmm. remember. He, he didn't really stretch for a great title for that one. Maybe he can get a do-over 
um, for that because it's but they're all kind of nested in this very you know for the purpose of biology the atomic foundational elements of life um, he's an oncologist he has a, he's a particular understanding of it but it may be a sort of the end of this trilogy I'm curious to see where he goes next because these are all within his comfort zone and area of expertise but I'd be fascinated to see what Mukherjee has got cooked up next maybe it's the organ I'm not sure um, <laughs> something like that but I'm thrilled. It's 16 hours on audiobook. I wish it were longer. I don't know what to tell you. No no stronger recommendation for me. It has this way, Mukherjee himself has this way of being literate without being condescending, mm-hmm. of being with scientific without being abstruse. It's magic. It's magic yeah, for this kind is. of writing. It's just it's, magic. It's, it's, it's very truly hard to, to express. magic to do like elevated, beautiful science writing that you don't have to be a scientist to be able to access. Yeah. It's just wonderful. I cannot wait. Um, I did on the, on our flights last week, I did the hero of this book by Elizabeth McCracken, mm. which I had been really looking forward to. It's a tiny little novel. Like that's a quick one sitting kind of situation. And it lives in this experimental weirdo space that Elizabeth McCracken likes to be in where the narrator, it's one day with the narrator whose mother has died and she is in London visiting places that she had visited with her mother and so reflecting on her parents, reflecting on her mother's death. And then like so one chapter is in that day and then the next chapter is a flashback to a memory of their life. And it just it does that tick tock through the whole mm. book. Um, and the narrator is writing this story like kind of as a novel kind of as a memoir so there's like inside it there's what it what genre is this and then the meta element is what genre is this is this autofiction from elizabeth mccracken's life i don't know the wondering about it is part of the reading and it's not it's Wait, not do you unsettling. like this i didn't i didn't think you like stuff like this am i I'm wrong not, maybe you well, don't like, I don't books, like about it. books i guess i don't like it as a gimmick i like it as elizabeth mccracken doing it oh okay yeah. <laughs> it works right. well in her hands like it's just quirky enough and winking and sort of dropping the questions and just lovely this whether it's her or this narrator she's created or some blend of the two of them, mm. the way, the loving way that she describes the parents, the descriptions of, you know, family memories and difficulties in relationships. It's just a lovely, interesting little book. I really liked it. Um, and then I also really liked Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro, which I think mm. was one of my, is either one of my picks or it one was. of my runners up. Um, I, I've loved her nonfiction. This was my first time reading fiction of hers about uh, basically like a couple of families on the same block in this suburb and generate different generations, not in a multi-generational like saga situation, but sort of different families that lived in these houses and sort of different flashpoints in their lives, sort of everyday beauty and everyday tragedy of family life, marriage, relationships, um, with just some really lovely set pieces, some like, little scenes that I will be picturing for a long time. She writes just so sharply um, about the complexities of especially marriage and family life that it was it's just beautifully observed. And I was like, I, I felt very taken care of by her as a writer. That was really enjoyable. Um, and then came home and got started on the rabbit hutch. So that's where, that's where I'm at, the frontless foyer. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the rabbit hutch has up its sleeve for me. Um, I had to, I, I'm not stopping Babel by 
Kang. I just mm. Arf Kang. I just stopped it. I was I knew I wasn't going to take the hardback with me to L.A. And then yeah. I've got Liberation Day, so I'm coming back to it. I also didn't. I want to read it. I actually was kind of saving it. I I, I want it to be. <laughs> it feels like a Thanksgiving break or Christmas read to me. It's that kind of immersive like oh, nice. world that I want to build in. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. See, I did notice I was um in um I was at Skylight Books in L.A. with my brother last week, and I was in Powell's yesterday. And it seems like um, I'm glad my mom died. You can get Babel. Mm. I'm not so sure about Babel. I'm not so sure about at this point. I'm still still. I need to start another podcast called Little Birdies, where people from the publishing <laughs> industry just tell us things, and then it's just published for us because we can't yeah. tell people. Yeah, uh, Rebecca, that's our show. As always, shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com if you've got a question or a comment or other feedback on the show. You can find show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Head over to the Book Riot podcast Patreon, patreon.com slash bookriotpodcast if you'd like to subscribe and become a member there, get all of our bonus stuff. But also, for a limited time only, we've unlocked a couple of additional Patreon episodes so you can get more of a sample of what's going on there. And then if you haven't caught it already, last week, the 10 biggest bookish phenomena of our reading live, one of my favorite hours or whatever, (laughs) 69-ish minutes or whatever we recorded together, um, I only that we. Th- my only regret is I did not have another reading life to mine for another episode <laughs> um, to do. We have to wait another twenty-ish years until I we know. have that much material to see uh, come in the future. As always, Rebecca, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.